Hey, hey, water coolians. Welcome back to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Today on the podcast, we are joined by good friend Macy Ramos to talk about the recent controversy surrounding Nirvana and the baby, the obviously now grown up baby from the Nevermind album and the discussion created after OnlyFans flip-flops on banning and then very soonly after unbanning sexually explicit content from their site. Much of this episode does focus on the idea of both figuratively and literally who owns our body. And to a similar extent, as we have this conversation, who owns our voice and how these two questions have come to define human existence. So without further ado, Ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk, episode 68, titled Slippery Slope, with Macy Ramos. Enjoy! This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not, because they're real. No, I think what you are saying in talking about taking time to reflect on some of these things speaks volumes about how serious you take this work. Um, because I do think, you know, there's no shortage. And like we were just saying briefly before, there's no shortage of privileged voices speaking on current events. And sometimes I think that that does more harm than good. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, there are opportunities to certainly, there are plenty of people who are coming from positions of actually like lived experiences for some of these things that we're talking about, who do have podcasts or do have voices out there. So, Anyway, I commend you for at least taking the time to consider, like, am I doing these topics justice, given what I know, and how much does the good outweigh the bad? Yeah, like, I wouldn't go into a conversation like this just having not done any preparation. Right. And, you know, I know some people do because they're like, oh, I have this experience from this or this or this. And, you know, that's okay. But in the realm of who we are, I think it's important that you at least show topics like this the respect they deserve and the time to put into it to properly prepare And not just to come in and think that you know what you need to know to have a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's hard because you can come in with the best intentions and like none of these topics, not the topics that we'll talk about today or any of the other ones that you've covered or will cover, like you're not going to have a perfect conversation every time. And also like, that's not the point. Mm -hmm. I see value in that too, which is messing up with grace and allowing a space too for just saying, oh, I maybe didn't say the right thing, or maybe that didn't come across right. And being able to converse about that. And, you know, there's value in keeping some of those things in the episode as well. So I hope that makes sense. No, I do. And that's, I mean, one of the the purposes of the show is to take big ideas like this, but make them more digestible because there are a lot of things that are very hard to talk about, but it's important that they're talked about because change doesn't happen if you don't talk about things. So a part of this show is saying, all right, let's talk about, quote unquote, a baby's penis. But how can we make that into a bigger conversation that people are like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm so excited. I've been thinking about this episode for <laughs> so long now. <laughs> well, awesome. I'm so pumped. Perfect. You ready to jump on into the first story? Sure. Let's do it. Macy, this first news story is from the New York Times Music, written by Maria Kramer, August 25th, 2021. Why the baby on Nirvana's Nevermind album is suing now. Spencer Eldon was four months old, 16 weeks if you're that kind of parent, when he was photographed by family friend and photographer Kirk Weedle in 1991 drifting naked in a pool. The now iconic photo would be used for the cover of Nevermind, Nirvana's seminal second album that helped define Generation X and rocketed the Seattle band to international fame. In the decades that followed, Spencer appeared to celebrate his part in the classic cover, recreating the moment, non-nude, 
for the album's 10th, 17th, 20th, and 25th anniversaries. In a 2016 interview, Spencer stated, It's cool, but weird to be a part of something so important that I don't even remember. Now, 30 years old, or... 1,560 weeks, Spencer has filed a federal lawsuit against the estate of Kurt Cobain, the musician's former bandmates David Grohl, it's weird to say David Grohl instead of Dave Grohl, and Chris Novoselic, among other parties. He claimed they, along with Geffen Records, which released Nevermind, profited from his naked image. According to the lawsuit, defendants knowingly produced, possessed, and advertised commercial child pornography depicting Spencer, and they knowingly received value in exchange for doing so. Mr. Eldon, Spencer, suffered permanent harm because of his association with the album, including emotional distress and a lifelong loss of income earning capacity. Spencer's lawyer, Maggie Maybe, stated he hasn't met with anyone who hasn't seen his genitalia. It's a constant reminder that he has no privacy. His privacy is worthless to the world. They were trying to create controversy because controversy sells. The point was not just to create a menacing image, but to cross a line, and they did so in a way that exposed Spencer. Maybe said her client agreed with the band, media outlets, and fans when they were asked when he was asked to recreate the photo as an adult, but he eventually realized that this only resulted in the image being further exploited. Even though Spencer said in a 2015 documentary that the album cover opened doors, for him over the years he expressed ambivalence about the cover. Spencer stated, It's been nice. <laughs> It'd be nice to have a quarter for every person that has seen my baby penis. I have practiced saying that multiple times, so I didn't laugh, but it's moving on. Spencer said his feelings about the cover began to change when he tried reaching out to the former band about being a part of his art show when it was turned away by managers and lawyers. Important piece to remember. Maybe Spencer's lawyer said his parents never authorized consent for how the images would be used and noted that Cobain, former lead singer of Nirvana, to remind the youngins, once suggested putting a sticker over the baby's genitalia after they pushed back to the cover's idea. Mary Graw Leary, professor at the Columbus School of Law at the Catholic University of America, stated that his lawsuit was not a typical child pornography case. Nudity of a child alone is not the definition of pornography. The typical child pornography that is being seen in law enforcement and pursued in the courts can be violent. The children are young and it is very graphic, but there are factors under federal law that allow a judge or a jury to determine whether a photo or a minor constitutes a lascivious exhibit of the genitals, including if they were the focal point of a photo. That part of the law gives a bit more discretion to the court. It's not a case with easy answers. Spencer's comments about the cover should not undermine his current claim that he was a victim of child pornography. The law does not pick between children who immediately denounce their abusers and children who initially were demissive about what happened to them. Professor Graw-Leary continued, We don't want to be in a position where we're only going to consider one case criminal because, in the other, the child didn't think it was a big deal at the time. We don't only protect certain kids. So, Macy... <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about this story was going in and hearing kind of the whims, I don't know if that's a correct word, but the whims around the story, I was like, oh, maybe this kid has a case. And then as you start reading more into this specific story, I'm like, oh, I kind of feel bad for this kid. And then we get to the point where I said, we may need to come back to this, where his feelings about the cover changed as soon as Nirvana didn't want to show up to his art show. And that's where I'm like, okay, yes. I respect his ability to be like, I didn't get to choose what I was doing with my body and now my body's everywhere, which by the way, I would have never known who this guy was prior to the story, but I guess now we're talking about him on a goddamn podcast. But I was like, dang, man, you almost had me. I know it's kind of different because this is the case of a lawsuit where something like Casey Anthony trying to convince the jury that her father abused her. You can't necessarily prove that, you know, something like 
abuse has necessarily happened if the evidence isn't there. But if you have this precedence of of using this Nirvana cover to, you know, grow yourself as a human and grow yourself as a brand, you can't just switch that flip once the money is kind of cut off. Yeah, no, it's hard for me. I'll be honest. It's hard for me to not come out swinging on this one because I am so, I'm so frustrated by this <laughs> whole situation. Mm-hmm. I Before I go any further, I want to be very, very clear on one part of the article that like I 1000% agree with, which is the fact that Something that you did not once identify as sexual abuse, sexual assault, like you can learn, um, you can learn more about it, you can process it, you can come to terms with things, whatever it may be, and later identify something as sexual assault. That's what we want. We want to inform people so that they are empowered to understand what's happening to them if they are dealing with that kind of trauma. Yes. And just and just to be clear on my point, Casey Anthony, in her case, she tried to use what you just described as a defense tactic, but there's no evidence to that tactic. Sure. Yes. Just to make clear on that. Yes. No. And I appreciate you, you clarifying. And so I want to I want to make that clear because I don't want the rest of what I'm about to say to be misconstrued as me fighting against that sort of point, because I am here for that. I agree with that 100%. There's so many things about this that are problematic to the nth degree. And one of those things, so we talk about consent here. And, you know, I think what's so interesting is, is that, well, you know, uh, supposedly they didn't sign anything. It was an oral agreement, yes. Right. And they were paid for it. They were paid $200, which Mm -hmm. might seem like a small amount given the success of the album, but they were paid. And so there was an exchange there that said, you can have this photo. Here's your money. They were also called and told by this photographer, hey, I'm going to be taking photos. Here's the deal. Bring your kid. They were friends, right? So all of these things, you know, I know it gets really dicey when you talk about consent, implied consent, but there was an exchange that was agreed upon by the parents. I also think it's important to note that, you know, he did flip sides a lot and it wasn't just, oh, I came to terms with this and this is really upsetting me and this now is traumatizing me or I feel you know, the the negative effects of this, he was all over the board. And even to this day, does not say the same thing that his legal counsel says. So he's more so like, I don't understand why I'm famous for this thing. He talks about how no one, he can't meet someone who hasn't seen his penis. I'm sorry, but you were a kid and you were not an abused kid from what the information that we know right now, mm-hmm. the information that they're basing this case off of. You're a naked kid at a pool. I could not even tell you the number of times and I like I'm going to out my parents here that I like went swimming naked or was just running around or the number of times that my parents like changed my diaper in a public place like those things happen and that's not an inherently sexual activity and this is the main point for me where I just can't I can't get on his side and it's because he's the one that's and he's a, he is the one that's sexualizing this photo of himself. No one else <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> is inherently sexualizing this photo of him on the album. That wasn't the point. Mm-hmm. The point was not to like create some explicitly disgusting child pornography scene. It's a picture of a naked infant. If we start to claim that this is inherently sexual, that's a super slippery slope and extraordinarily disrespectful and harmful to those that are actually dealing with the ramifications of exploitation and sexual pornography. You had a very good point. You know, it's that photo of you in the bathtub with a sibling or a cousin when you're a little kid naked. If your parents put that up on, say, Facebook, 
that is not considered child pornography unless it's strictly sexualized to the point of a specific pose, a specific piece of clothing, you know, something that makes that photo more sexualized rather than just a kid or multiple kids in a bathtub naked. So I think, you know, what you said about being changed in the public space, that is not a consideration for child pornography because it's not the act of sexualizing that child. A very good point there at the end, you know, no one was sexualizing this photo of this kid until this discussion happened. And then people are like, oh, maybe we should. And then it's like, well, why are you? Is it because you want to create outrage for outrage's sake? Because like I said, now we are talking about this kid or this, he's older than us. He's 31 <laughs> or something at the time. So he's not a kid anymore. But now we're talking about this individual, Spencer. I would have never have known who this was. This was just a generic baby at the time that this Nevermind album came out and now we know who this is and you know I looked more into his lawyer she seems like a, a maybe maybe she seems like a you know not a lawyer chasing a payday you know she's done a lot of good work with advocates for vulnerable communities I don't think she's a lawyer just trying to chase a payday I don't think this is an ill attempt from the lawyers we are talking about the Spencer individual he's an artist and now people know more about him his google clicks are going up and if he gets paid or not, I like to see the good in the people. But at the end of the day, I think he got out of this what he wanted out of this. I was able to do some more research and kind of hear some stories from people he grew up with. And this was a big point of contention for how he lived his life, being this nevermind baby. I don't think this was a case of him being like, oh, I was abused as a young kid. And dang, that sucks. You know, and now I want my retribution for that. And I want to feel completed again. And I want to feel respected again. It sounds like he's been taking advantage of this opportunity, which wonderful opportunity for him, great opportunity to be connected to one of the best selling albums of all time that, like I said, in the original article changed the landscape of music, especially in the punk rock scene. But I think his payday was kind of coming to an end. And he's like, I just need to get one last chance at something that has defined my entire life. Sure. Well, and I think you bring up, you know, circling back to the beginning of that, like you bring up a valid point, which is that this is not a household name. You know what I mean? Like no one, I shouldn't say no one, I'm making, you know, broad assumptions here about who does and doesn't know this guy. I didn't know him. I love the band. Nowhere in there was I ever curious about who this baby was. Didn't matter to me. <laughs> Maybe if I was a bigger fan, I don't know. One thing I do want to note about this is that there are so many slippery slopes in this conversation. It's a slippery slope what he's claiming. I think, like I said before, it doesn't do justice to those who have suffered from pretty blatant exploitation. I also think that it is a point of privilege for us to assume or to judge or to try to um, discern how he felt or what he's feeling or thinking about it, right? And so like, I struggle with this whole story because of that aspect or because of the aspect of kind of what he's claiming and the fact that he has privilege, which I'll get into in a second. But I also think that we have the privilege to sit here and say, well, I don't think that he like it seems odd. You know, he's flipping back and forth and seems like I don't you know, I don't really believe it. But like, I don't know what's going on. He could have really suffered from it. That's valid. I don't want to discredit or take that away from him. So there's privilege in being able to to judge or look at and kind of discern, well, is he really feeling those things or is that really the effect on him? I'm not here to to necessarily comment on that so much. The biggest part for me, you know, not even judging or trying to like 
discern what the deal is here. I think what this says more than anything is like, here is a person with enough privilege to find a lawyer. He's got enough privilege and enough of a platform to speak out about it. I'm guessing this lawyer is not cheap. I don't know when any lawyer is. Um, so I would say that at the end of the day, he here's this thing that we don't even we're both kind of sitting here like, I don't know, is this we're kind of struggling with how to even identify it. And yet he's got enough going for him that he can take this to a very public level. We don't even know that this is a real, not a real case. That's saying exactly what I was trying to avoid. But this isn't a drastic or severe situation. And so I think that what this says to me is, is that he's got a lot of privilege. He's got a lot of access to resources and he has what he needs to be able to seek out some sort of retribution mm -hmm. for whatever damages he feels he's owed. And I think that that is, um, that's more than a vast majority of folks, a vast majority of survivors are ever going to see or have the ability to seek out. No, I think that's a very good point on how we understand someone's stance in a situation that we don't totally understand. Because at the end of the day, even when you know, like a road rage situation, you don't know what's going through that other person's mind that, you know, is honking at you and flipping the bird. Their mom may have just died that day and they just might not be handling that stress in a way that is productive to being a member of the road society that we call driving in America. But yeah, I think it's a very important aspect to this conversation to understand that we truly don't understand what people are going through and only they can really understand what they're going through. We can just try to use these context clues, but at a point, you can't go too far into saying, this is what this person is thinking because you are not that person. And by the way, Macy, if you're ever looking for a cheap lawyer, cheaplegalteam.com is the only lawyer's water cooler talk uses. <laughs> it's our own brand that of lawyers. A lot. Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, kind of going back to my thing about a lot of the times, I, I, I feel like this personally, we are defined by only a few things in our life. And we're so hard driven to hang on to those things and protect those things at any cost. I even know it in my own personal life. There's things that I'm like, all right, this is what defines me as a human. And I don't want to lose that thing. And I will go to the ends of the earth to try to protect it. And it's not always the healthiest thing. See, and I think that that's a really interesting point because I would almost challenge you on that from a personal standpoint, which is that I don't necessarily define myself by a few things that have happened to me in my life, but I know for a fact that other people who know me are going to define me by a few things in my life. Mm, and if I can, if I need to, or if I'm put in a position where I can benefit from that, whatever that may look like, then yeah, if somebody is going to peg me in one particular way or a few particular ways, and I think this will, this could potentially tie in very well to our OnlyFans situation, but I think that if you have something, whether it's a stereotype or something that is an occurrence that happened to you, an event, something that you did, and somebody is going to base assumptions on you or about you because of that one thing, and you can benefit from it, sure, why not? So I, you know, I guess for me personally, I would say that I would fall more into that category. I wouldn't necessarily define myself by a few things. And maybe this kid does. It seems like he does. Well, would you say that's kind of like an outward expression of self? Like if you have all these people connected to your life and they're like, Adam is that one thing. Do you think there's a responsibility of yourself to be like, if I'm putting that kind of energy out to the world and that's what people define me as, maybe I need to be do a better job defining myself in other ways that I know are true to myself. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what you care about, 
right? Like if you don't care what other people, if those people are putting judgments on you and it's not harming you and what you're, you're doing in the world and you don't care, then I, why challenge it? But if it's something where you feel like you're being harmed by that interpretation or you feel like it's putting you in an untrue light or it's maybe it's just a reflection of something that you know is true about yourself and you don't like, then sure, yeah. I, you know, that's a, a moment of self-reflection. I'm glad you brought up the points you brought up because it is very easy to judge another human, especially when you're not in the healthiest of place yourself. You know, it's kind of projecting onto another person your own insecurity. So I think it is always important to kind of check yourself and be like, oh, why am I judging this person in that way? Absolutely. And also like that is that is like <laughs> the ultimate, if we could boil every single issue that we could have possibly talked about on this podcast today onto one, like down to one thing. It is like (laughs) how quickly we judge and act upon those judgments against towards whatever other people. I don't know a whole lot of people, I'll be blunt, that are doing super right now. We're still in a pandemic. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of instability. There's just so much chaos politically, socially. I don't care who you are. You could be the most calm, stable person in the world. No one is unaffected by all the things that are happening. You know, I, and this is why too, circling back to the article, like it took me a second to even challenge myself on being like, am I really, do I, can I really confidently say that I know what this guy was thinking or feeling? No. Mm -hmm. Should I try to do that? No, not really. No one's having fun right now. I think that that was a good moment for me too, to just be like, what is the actual point here? Is the point to discern whether or not he had harm no. Can I also speak out against or speak out about why I think some of the things that he's doing are problematic and still leave space for him feeling however he's feeling? Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, I think it's very easy to judge someone in his case because, I mean, yeah, I'm you know jealous of what he was able to do with his life. And I mean, I think we're both fans of Nirvana and he was able to have this connection with Nirvana, a band that was very influential to a lot of people, especially, you know, a lot of young teen angst. And he was able to have a a special connection and he was able to have a connection beyond just listening to them in your headphones. Right. Well, and let's be honest, I don't know, you know, if I were to put myself in his shoes and I was the baby on the cover, I I don't know what I feel. Is there a part of me that would still be like, eh, sure. But I would, it's the same feeling that I get when my mom pulls out the scrapbook she made of me from (laughs) like birth to graduation of high school that she loves to show everyone that walks into the house, right? Like, so it's probably that feeling. And I can see why that would be intensified, magnified if it's everybody. But again, I don't know who the first person was to out this person as, or to name, put a name to the baby. You know, then he recreated it. And again, I think trying to to figure out or say like, well, he recreated it and therefore he doesn't have a case. Slippery slope. Yes. <laughs> or even that enough. he has a nevermind tattoo on his chest. Does you know, he once really? Again, he does. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, I didn't even know that. See, yeah. and, but... Uh, but it does, it shouldn't matter in the grand scheme of the conversation we were just having. Right, right. I had a lot of knee-jerk reactions with this one. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a good exercise in trying to really understand why I had those reactions and what is the act- what are my actual thoughts and feelings. It's a good it's a good exercise for all of us to be doing right now. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I would like to welcome to the show my good friend Macy Ramos. Macy was a Macy has a degree in women's studies and human resource management with a passion for work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, we've been friends for a couple of years now and 
you're just an all-around amazing good human being so (laughs) but more (laughs) than just but more than just an amazing good human being a lot of layers to this onion that is macy oh i'm an onion (laughs) yes a little shrek reference (laughs) you know what onions are delightful you can cook with them they're tasty i'll take it (laughs) exactly well macy welcome to water cooler talk thank you for having me we are as it you know it seems in a time very much influenced by media or quote-unquote loud voice opinions rather than that of facts, science, or lived experiences. You know, I recently read this report that talked about comparing President Biden and former President Trump and how their first, you know, seven, eight months have been going. And a lot of that discussion wasn't about the policies that they had enacted, but it was instead about how they responded in the media, how they responded on Twitter, you know, things that really at the end of the day don't matter compared to the policy of a president. Uh, So how do, in your opinion, you know, how do people like you or I, listeners and supporters of the show, help change that discourse? Oof, what a question. Um, Well, first of all, people... I only come with hard-hitting questions. I know, I just... (laughs) (laughs) I'm switching gears mentally. Um, I think, you know, I've heard this phrase so many times, and I had a professor in college who said this quite a bit, which is that people love to cast a vote for the person they want to have a beer with. And so that is true. I think that I would support that statement because... I think that what you're reading or what you had just uh, shared really supports that statement, which is that it's not so much what are the actual policies, what are the actual impacts, it's what is the presence. It's so difficult to disconnect from that and to try to dig into what is actually happening. Even the like most well-intentioned human being, and I have found myself in this spiral before, you go online, you hear about this new policy, this new act, ban, whatever it is that might go into play, and you're trying to read up on like, okay, what is the process? And also, what what is the impact of this? And it's so hard sometimes to get to the roots of what is being talked about, what's being discussed, what's being proposed. It's so challenging. And also what we know is that politicians love to add on to whatever bill or law is being talked about, right? Like they love to sneak things in. And so one thing that seems like it's very straightforward about one topic actually spans across seven topics and we didn't even know it. So I think the best thing, and I guess this ties back to the knee-jerk reaction, is to try to like constantly challenge yourself. And it's exhausting, but especially myself being in a place of privilege where some of these things don't directly impact me, it's my job to really sift through all of the crap and all of the garbage that's out there about these things to get to the bottom of what's actually being proposed, what's actually passing, and what is the impact. The reality is no one person is going to fix everything. They're also It's not one president that screws everything up. It's very easy to think that because we have such polarized viewpoints of everything, especially right now. Everything's extreme. There is no... I shouldn't say there is no in-between. The in-between feels like it's getting smaller and smaller. For me personally, and that's the only thing I can speak to at this point, I try to just continue to sift through it. And sometimes that means I take a break from whatever news outlets I'm relying on. Or if I find that there's one where I'm looking at an article and I know for a fact I've read three other articles about it, and then I see a headline and I know that what the headline's saying is not actually what the article is going to be about, but it'll grab your attention. I know we've talked about this in previous episodes too. Like, 
if I know that that is what a site is presenting to me, I'm probably not going to go back to the site Mm -hmm. because that's not helpful for me. I don't need more drama about all of these things. And that's what a lot of it is. Yeah. I hope that answered your question. That was a very warning response. (laughs) No, that was a a very beautiful (laughs) response. And there's a lot of, you know, little nuggets to pluck out of there. I think, you know, one of the first nuggets to pluck out of there is we see a lot of speaking specifically to politics. We see a lot of politics in the name of not policy, but personality. You know, you look at someone like Biden, like Trump, you know, I know there's a lot of discourse with the $3.5 trillion deal right now in Mansion and his houseboat and all of these things. And we look at these people as the individuals that they are, which is good. But also, like you said, you know, you know, beers with who we want to vote for, we'd rather focus on that than the actual policy, you know, looking at policy is so much bigger. It's not just President Biden, who creates policy, it's his entire team, his entire administration that creates this policy. When you really want to look at policy, there's so much more to look at than just, all right, do I like this guy? Hopefully sometime in the future, woman, you know, do I like that person? And then now do I like that policy? And does my perception of that person change my perception of that policy? Well, and that's the thing too. I mean, I look at, I look at Trump, easy example. He is the master of distraction. (laughs) Did he help anything that was happening? No. But all of the problems that we can think of that really like people love to associate with Trump, he didn't invent any of them. He might have shed some light on them. He might have made them a, a bit more acceptable because of his own rhetoric. But more than anything, he just told people to look away while all of this like crazy stuff was happening in the background. And yes, executive orders are a thing. And yes, he's the one that's like putting into positions of power all of these folks who are aligned with him. They're his buddies. They're, you know, are going to support him until they don't and that he turns on him, right? Like it was a big old cluster in my humble opinion. But I think that it's part of, I think, understanding a candidate is to not look at the candidate. Mm -hmm. I think that that is what it comes down to sometimes because at the end of the day, Trump is a lot of things, but... He wasn't the root cause of everything. We also see, you know, just as much as people love to blame him, I think it's a really dangerous game to to blame or to give props to one person because, to your point, it is a collection of people. And also, it's what we, as people residing in the States, choose to do with that. Mm-hmm. It's on the people who are enforcing it. It's on our understanding of it and how we treat each other. And so... I guess that's also what I mean by looking away from the candidate. It's not just about what they're saying and what they're doing, although that's wildly important. It's also what are the people responding with? Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important, you know, to also like take a look at someone you disagree with and try to find positives with what they say. Something that I think Trump did on accident was help strengthen Obamacare. You know, he helped with criminal reform, you know, depending on where your stance is with the judges and the tax code for corporate things. And like when I sent you information about, you know, the Texas bill, I sent you a wide selection of information from multiple different sources. And as far as, you know, being influenced by the media, I think it's very important. I've talked about this many times to really go out of your comfort zone when you're trying to find information, see what the other side is saying and be like, okay. Why are they saying that? Where are they coming from from that? Because as we said, you know, kind of in that first story, like everyone has their own beliefs and their own way of looking at the world. And just because it's different than you doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. Yes, there are some things, you know, like a Ted Bundy killing people. That's wrong. And we probably shouldn't try to find any positives in that. Usually most human beings are not as nefarious and evil as someone like 
Ted Bundy. So there are positives in what people are trying to bring to the world. You know, I always like to say, we're all looking for that end of the road, specifically in our case, America being this great country that we really love and feel prideful for. But sometimes the road to get there looks different from everybody's front window. I, I do agree. And I like what you're saying about understanding where the other side is coming from. I do think that that is a skill we all could improve on. I think that there are a lot of people who are feeling kind of ostracized or alienated from the conversation because they feel like there's no middle ground. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I, I do see that there's room for that. But I also want to be super cautious when talking about seeing the other side. And you can try to understand the other side without conceding that they are right. Yes. And you don't want to give a hero complex to a potential villain. Right. And I think Villain, quote unquote villain, not, you know, like a movie villain, but. Right. I <laughs> got you. I think too, you know, it just is so dependent on the topic. So when we talk about the Texas bill and talking about abortion rights, I can't stress this enough. This is a life or death issue. To say that you are making abortion illegal doesn't mean that you're making abortion illegal for everyone. Because the reality is, if you're a person of privilege, wherever you are, you're going to be able to get an abortion safely. Yes. But if you are not a person of privilege, or you have confounding circumstances that work against you, then yes, it's, it is your life on the line. The Texas ban and, uh, and, and similar topics, I am not interested ever in having a conversation where I'm like debating or um, having an argument for argument's sake, or even trying to understand maybe why someone feels the way that they do, because you can't work against that if you don't know what you're working with, right? Like you can't tackle a problem if you don't know what the problem is. So there is there is value in that. Mm -hmm. I won't engage in, in some of these conversations if I feel like there's some topics where I, 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 in something within like the Texas abortion thing, I think people are basing it off of misinformation. They're mm -hmm. basing it off of, I don't even think it's what they think is right. Like half the time it's not connected. You know, when you talk about one of the most poignant comparisons that I see being made is capital punishment and abortion and how you can't really be for or against one and not the other, because ultimately what you're talking about is your right to the life. sanctity of life. Yeah. Yes. And so I, I just think it's so, it's so interesting <laughs> to have these conversations. And, uh, you know, I, I do have a lot of folks around me that have very similar opinions, but I do have a lot of family members that have very different opinions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's the easiest place to start in having those conversations. Not always, not always. Sometimes it's, <laughs> it's not worth it because family is a complicated, fickle thing. And, but I know for my family at the end of the day, I'm very, very lucky I know that no matter where the conversation goes, I'm still going to have a loving family that's there. So I'm not afraid to get into those conversations and really challenge people. And yes, try to understand where they're coming from. But also, I will never stop advocating for the rights of people, humans, right? Mm -hmm. Just like general human basic rights. You know, kind of pulling out another, you know, nugget from what you've been saying and what we were talking about earlier is, you know, we have the privilege to have these very supportive families that are very supportive. I wouldn't feel as comfortable being as vulnerable as I am to the entire world if I didn't have a very supportive family that was like, you know, we don't necessarily understand exactly what you're doing, but we support you with it. And I think as we talked about, you know, 
obviously we're having this privilege to have this conversation and to have this platform. And, you know, it's important for us when we talk about changing the discourse, quote unquote, changing the discourse is to use our platform to give voices to not necessarily the voiceless, because that always sounds negative, but to people who don't always have the opportunity to create these platforms. And I think that's important that we start giving kind of the microphone to these people that have these lived experiences that have actually gone through this. I've never had to deal with abortion in my immediate life with a partner or anything of that nature. So I don't have that same experience as someone who's actually gone through it. Should I be the one trying to say, this is what we should be doing? No, I should be able to give the platform to someone else. And that's a lot of what the show is, is trying to create that discussion and being like, I'm going to be vulnerable and I'll take the heat. So someone else can be like, I can get in there and I can say what I need to say because I've gone through this and I know how this impacts me and my community. And I do, I just want to circle back. I would say not voiceless and not even those that don't have the platform, although that is an aspect, I would say it's those who are silenced, whose voice is speaking louder than anyone else. And it's the same people who are making decisions about human rights and health and bodies. And it's the same voice who circling back to our previous conversation gets to say, yeah, I'm going to sue about this picture that my family may or may not have agreed to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, it's just, uh, that's, I guess that's what I would say. It's, it's those who are silenced. That's a very good correction. Well, before we move on, myself and Water Cooler Talk are on a mission to help get back to different parts of the community and those who have helped build our show to where it stands today. For each new episode of the podcast, the guests will bring with them a charity of their choice to represent. On the day of their episode going live, Water Cooler Talk will give a donation to that charity in honor of the guests, as well as a global platform to spread a message of love, hope, and togetherness. And we hope you listening to this episode can join in to help spread their message to your own personal audience. Macy, your charity of choice for today's episode is the New Horizons Shelter and Outreach Center located near the La Crosse, Wisconsin area. Do you mind explaining a bit about what kind of work they do and their 40 plus years of service supporting and advocating for victims of domestic and sexual abuse? Yes. So um, New Horizons is a nonprofit that uh, works with, as you just mentioned, survivors of all kinds. And um, they have a few different services. They've got their outreach center, which they staff with some really incredible advocates who are working in all different fields. There's uh, trafficking, legal abuse of any kind. And they also do uh, have a, a resource center so you can go and get clothes or food or any sort of support that you may need in that regard. Um, they provide childcare if you are getting counseling or other services there. So really a great resource. And then they also do have their shelter that you can stay in if you are in a situation um, that you are trying to escape from or any sort of crisis situation. So they're really incredible. Um, they are also the only the only nonprofit uh, doing any of that work in a 70-mile radius, I believe. So super critical. I absolutely love them. I did have the pleasure of working there for, or interning there, I should say, for uh, just over a year. So really believe in what they're doing. And um, that was the first thing that came to mind when given the opportunity to to provide some something to them, because I think that they're just absolutely amazing. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing them on the show. All right. Well, Macy, you're ready to jump into our final news story of the episode. I'm here for it. Let's do it. All right. This is from the Bloomberg Fully Charged, and this is written by Drake Bennett, August 30th, 2021. Who's really in charge? of OnlyFans. OnlyFans' pitch has always been about intimacy, not because most of the content is erotic, though it is, but because the interaction between creator and consumer is so direct. People subscribe not to OnlyFans as a whole, but to the feed 
of a particular performer. Those performers often develop relationships of a sort with their fans, exchanging messages and personalizing content for particular quirks and kinks. It was a connection that a socially distanced world proved particularly hungry for. However, the platform's decision to ban, and then abruptly unbanned, Explicit content highlights the other parties that were always lurking in the middle of the relationship. The company says the original decision was necessitated by concerns from OnlyFans banks and payment processing companies. That came after MasterCard announced stricter requirements for processing payments for porn sites to try to ensure that performers on the sites were of age and were willing participants. OnlyFans does make their creators register with a legal government ID because if you are a listener who is a OnlyFans creator, you do have to pay taxes on that money you make. It's a reminder that the ability to instantly pay someone many miles away with whom you've never met and whose real name you probably don't know doesn't just come into being. Someone created that infrastructure, maintains it, and your ability to use it depends on their approval. It's similar to a lesson that has been learned elsewhere. Small e-commerce merchants, reliant on Amazon to reach their customers, find their survival dictated by the internet giant's terms of service. Social media platforms such as Parler and Gab, seen as overly indulgent of racism and misogyny, lost their contracts with web hosters, forcing them to go dark. And in a world where single people increasingly find each other through their phones, those who are booted off of dating apps for reasons that are sometimes unclear can be essentially edited out of the dating pool. It is not excusing toxic online trolls or unscrupulous retailers or creepy daters to say that the rules we now rely on to deal with them are opaque, arbitrary, and undemocratic. For the sex workers and performers who make their livings on OnlyFans, there was always a sense that this was too good to last, not that the deal for them was all that amazing. OnlyFans provides precious little for the 20% cut it takes on subscription fees. Performers get almost no help promoting themselves and often have to track down and deal with content piracy on their own. The fact that OnlyFans has become a household name undoubtedly brought attention to what the company probably hoped would pass as a quiet course correction on the way to the initial public offering it is rumored to be planning. In the tweet announcing the reversal of their original decision to ban pornographic content, the company said it had, quote, secured assurances necessary to support our diverse creator community, end quote. Assurances presumably secured from payment processors. It was a victory for content creators in an economy where, in general, they have few points of leverage. But it also made it very, 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 very clear who is still in charge. So one thing I just want to say just right off the bat that's not necessarily related with the story, but for any content creators out there, it is vital to diversify your content. Because at the end of the day, if you do not own the platform, eventually that platform is going to collapse. One day YouTube will collapse, one day Spotify will collapse, one day Apple will collapse, one day OnlyFans will collapse. And it's very important to you as a creator to find multiple ways to earn an income to show your work. But to the actual essence of this conversation, I want to get kind of just your kind of knee-jerk reaction to this story and this banning and then unbanning and then... Well, so my initial, initial reaction was that OnlyFans, and I believe this, would not be successful without sex workers. Before we talk about anything else, that is the reality. And I think it's also worth noting that this harmed more than anyone else, folks of color, trans folks, marginalized individuals, right? Like this is, this was detrimental to them more than anyone else. And I say that because, you know, sex work, because of all of the 
<laughs> misguided attempts at trying to eradicate it, you know, it makes it increasingly dangerous and also increasingly dangerous for those that are already silenced or marginalized. You know, it, it just, it's, it's not safe. If it's okay with you, I actually did a little additional research on a timeline here because this is not Love a it. new topic. It. Okay. So um, in the 1990s, <laughs> uh, newspapers stopped allowing escort ads moving folks online or to in-person, right? Again, so this is important because this goes as far back as the 90s, prior to that more so, but you know what I mean, you get the gist. Um, and then as we go in to the uh, mid-90s, 1996 Communications Decency Act, basically it says that sites are not held responsible for what's on their websites, right? So like if something could become a legal issue, sites are not responsible. So then in 2018, we flipped that with this very, very, very long act. I'm not even going to give you the whole name because it's not worth it. It's like F-O-S-T-A slash S-E-S-T-A. Those are the, like the two acronyms basically saying that websites are, again, responsible for user-generated content. So that is kind of the kickoff, right? So you have this kind of flip back and forth, and that's what's really freaking people out again. Because if websites are held accountable, well, now all of a sudden there's this, I should say there's a really convenient disguise of saying we, we're trying to protect people, right? Like yes. we, we want to protect ourselves and also we don't want to promote these things happening. We don't want to promote trafficking. We don't want those things happening on our site. We're trying to help people. We're trying to help ourselves. Super convenient when ultimately what they're trying to do is push along their own moral agendas. So then in 2018, we see that Tumblr takes off all of any sort of sexually explicit content. Backpage, done. All of these sites start to shut down or prevent people from being able to use them for this reason. Um, then you see in 2020, Pornhub shifts all their content. I would say that that's a good thing. Overall, Pornhub had a pretty clear goal, which is we need to make sure that our folks here are, are doing this consensually, that they're of age, whatever. And now you get to 2021, which is uh, where we, we get to this OnlyFans content. And so this is literally going on for decades. This is not a new thing. This is not something that's just this site. It is all over the place and has been and will continue to be just as much as abortion and any other topic that has to do with who gets to have agency over their bodies. And do you mind, is this a timeline for the U.S.? Great question. This is specific to the U.S., um, so I think that that is, is really important. Uh, it was helpful for me to just kind of contextualize this discussion a little bit more. You know, I had my initial reactions and then I was like, okay, I, I want to get some more context. So hopefully that's also helpful to, to listeners. Yeah. And so I guess where I would end and, and allow you some space to speak is just where I think what this comes down to is, is again, who has, who has control over bodies nine times out of 10 if not more, it's not women, it's not queer folks, it's not folks of color, it's not any intersectional identity, it's white, straight, cis men. I would I would even add on to that, I would say wealthy Absolutely. white men, because you look at something like this OnlyFans situation, it's 
Visa and MasterCard that are making these decisions. It's the same thing with Pornhub. It was Visa and MasterCard making these decisions. And yeah, you're kind of wrapping it into this, all right, we're going to stop human trafficking. We're going to stop revenge porn. We're going to stop you know, child pornography. But at the end of the day, MasterCard and Visa doesn't want to be connected with sex because sex is still viewed as this very negative connotation in the US compared to international companies or international countries. Sorry. You know, we had this conversation when Maria was on the podcast. You know, I'm very supportive of sex workers. If two consenting adults want to have sex and one of them wants to pay for it, nothing wrong with that. I understand the reasoning why people are against legitimizing sex work. If you were to legitimize sex work in the US, there would be a rise in sex trafficking. That is, you know, unfortunate consequence of legalizing something when there's more demand, you need more supply, basic economics. But at the end of the day, I think it's important we give people that feel comfortable and feel and choose to use their body to make a living. I mean, at the end of the day, what really is like working in a factory? It's just physical work. You're still using your body, but you're using your body in a different way. And that shouldn't stop anyone from making a living. But we should be able to have platforms like OnlyFans that and I still believe is a safe platform for people to truly express who they want to be and how they want to make their living. So I guess I want to I want to challenge you a little bit on on some of the things that you just brought up. One of them being we don't want to legitimize mm-hmm. by saying you know or the the assumption or or the viewpoint of like well we don't want to legitimize it. Well, it's it's legitimate, mm-hmm. right? Like it is as legitimate as. Uh, the emotional labor that partners do, it is as legitimate and valued and uh, necessary for society to function as these gender prescribed roles of like caretaking for kids, cooking, cleaning, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's legitimate, it's valued, it's there. Everyone needs, not everyone, that is not fair to say. A lot of people need sex. They need touch. They need that. If you're making your living from that, Hell yeah. I think it's amazing. I think truly like that is incredible. And I think that it is um, what these creators are doing is creating space for everyone. There's no kink shaming. There's no slut shaming. There's none of this garbage that is surrounding sex. It's people who are empowered and they're taking ownership of their bodies. And then people who want to watch that content are also empowered to feel what they're feeling and to express them their own desires, wants, needs in a way that is safe for all parties. So I cannot stress this enough, legalizing it, not just decriminalizing it, legalizing it is where we should go. That's my personal opinion. Yes. Now, they also want to challenge the notion that by saying that we would legalize that there would be an uptick in trafficking. I challenge that because I, I get what you're saying about like the basic economics, but I think that's I think it's a little risky to put it lightly to marry the concept of trafficking with sex work. Those are two totally different things. Sex work is like somebody who, in theory, is empowered, they're getting paid, they're um, safely able to pursue that line of work versus trafficking, which is abuse. If you want to tackle sex trafficking and you want to prevent that from happening, the conversation that we need to have there is about patterns of abuse and manipulation. And also where they tie is in talking about who has agency over bodies. But I would, I would just caution a conversation where we say, well, by legalizing sex work, human trafficking will increase 
because I, I think that those are two separate things. And I would almost argue that if you legalize it and you've got more visibility as to what's happening and you've got more regulation and you're creating safer spaces for people to speak out, then actually there's less opportunity for sex trafficking mm-hmm. because you've got more opportunities for people to stay connected and for people to engage in this in a way that is safe and consensual. I think I'll mirror you back on that and saying that, you know, the term sex work and then not including someone who's trafficked in it kind of takes away the power that they can potentially create by being able to get away from that abuse. And you're saying, all right, this is a separate entity of sex work when overall, I think sometimes we get too pretty with our terms and sometimes it gets way too confusing. We have 10 different terms for one thing, you know, talked about critical race theory. And when you ask somebody the definition of critical race theory, you get 100 different definitions. But I think it's very important that we have this colloquial term that says, this is what we want to regulate. Because when it gets into laws, it's very important that we have specific terms. Because when you don't, and you say one group doesn't belong to this term, well, another does, and then this term, and this group belongs to this term, that's how opponents of a law could potentially skirt that law and say, well, you said this person wasn't included in this group, so kind of fuck them. So I hear you. And I don't totally disagree, but I do partially disagree. Yeah, that's fair. And here's why. I I, I get what you're saying about there's a lot of terms, there's a lot of definitions, but I think using the the critical race theory, for an example, that's that's one phrase. Mm -hmm. The understandings of it, the the hundred different interpretations of what that means, that's not necessarily because of that one phrase. It's because of what people are hearing about it. It's because of what people are taking away and they're, Mm -hmm. they're choosing to relay or their understanding of it. So it comes down to interpretation. So I think when you're talking about sex work and and trafficking, that's two words. I don't think that they belong under the same umbrella because I think that, again, I I just circle back to the the risk of of combining those terms. Those two terms exist for a reason, and that's because... But, But wouldn't you say the perception of the word sex worker would also include trafficking to most people. They would you look at the abs- aspect of sex work, they would include prostitution, and then they would have the perception of, okay, let me look at the media's perception of prostitution, and you have pimps, and you have this woman who is abused by this pimp. So I guess that's where I'm kind of seeing it, but I think you have, you know, obviously very good points. We create these definitions for words. Words don't mean shit until we give them meaning. And it's the meaning of the perception of that word that creates how we use it in society. Right. But I guess why I why I bring this up and why I just am really trying to hammer this home is because I don't care what the perception is. Mm-hmm. And and I say that with respect to, to you and everyone else. There is a problem with the perception. And that's why I do want to discern. 100% agree. Right. And that's why I do want to discern that they are two different words with two different meanings and two different mm-hmm. problems. Sex work, I don't want to marry it. I don't want to encourage. I don't want to try to tie it to trafficking of any kind because it is different. I understand, yes, why people are like, well, okay, that is, you know, if you're getting trafficked, you could get trafficked in a lot of different ways. Maybe you are being sexually abused as one aspect of trafficking. That sexual abuse is not the same as sex work. And this idea of pimps and abuse and like whatever, that does happen as a part of sex work, sure, but that happens because we don't have a correct understanding of what it is. We're not valuing for, you know, what it is. Mm -hmm. We are trying to push it under the rug and make it dangerous 
that allows opportunities for people to take advantage, that allows opportunities for abuse. But sex work in and of itself is not this stereotype of uh, a battered woman who's getting taken advantage of by some pimp who's collecting all her money. I don't understand how that pimp image is any different than what OnlyFans is doing by taking ultimate control over where these folks can work and who Mm -hmm. gets what percentage of the cut. And, you know, like that... why we don't understand that as, as some sort of like pimp dynamic is beyond me because that I think is as relevant as this stereotypical like big dude that we have in our mind. <laughs> it's like, you know. <laughs> I, I do believe it's very important if we are to make this type of work legal in the eyes of the law. I think it is important to your point that we separate these two different things because the more we can get very clear on who we need to help, where funds need to go, when it is funded, I think, you know, that starts by, as you were saying, being very clear on the language we use in describing the people surrounding this realm of sex. Agreed. Agreed. It does come down to language. It comes down to understanding. It comes down to people opening up their minds a little bit as to what this means and what this looks like. And it's such an unfortunate reality that it's an unfortunate reality. And also it's not surprising because misogyny and sexism and racism and ableism and everything else under the sun impacts our entire world, every institution. Mm -hmm. And sex is not, it's not separated or divorced from that. So this conversation, what OnlyFans did how we view sex work, it's all impacted in this way. And it allows room for these terrible things to happen. It's not the sex work itself that's the cause of this abuse, or it's, you know, it's not the sex work itself that's the cause of trafficking or any of the other things that could come out of it that are negative. It's the root causes of all the issues in our society that's creating the problems where there don't need to be and there shouldn't be. (laughs) When I think that gets to like the broader question and that philosophical question that I mentioned in our emails of this entire episode is like, who really is in control of our bodies? Because at the end of the day, you know, I have to go to work and my boss owns my body for that time period, at least my mind and where I need to be energy wise. And, you know, in the case of OnlyFans, MasterCard and Visa get to make the decisions on if this platform gets to exist, if that platform gets to exist on Pornhub, on many more sites, you know, it talked about Amazon, it talked about even places like Parler and Gab, obviously they're incredibly horrible sites, but those web hosters get to decide, all right, what's your choice of speech here? We always think about like, all right, who's really in charge of who I am as a person and who really controls my body as an individual, as we were talking about in the Texas situation. It's like, well, should the government or in that Texas heart bill case, should private citizens get to tell me or tell women in general in this case, or those who are able to have periods and have children and get abortions, what they can do with their body. You really have to think broader than just this story and say, who who owns me? Do I own myself or am I just in this society that a greater power than myself controls my moves? And that even, now that I'm thinking about it, that goes into like religion and even a deeper conversation into like the universe and souls and all these things. But it's such a interesting philosophical question that I don't think a lot of people really consider. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people don't have the time to. (laughs) (laughs) It's great that you and I have the time on a, pardon me, on a Friday night to 
sit in our lovely houses and consider the world's problems. You know, like I'm not, I'm not concerned in this very moment about my day-to-day survival. And so in that, I am privileged. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I have the time to think about all these things and converse about them, which is great. But I think that in considering these topics, try to always start with an understanding and tying this to privilege of where my privilege is. I know that this is in many ways a hypothetical question of who owns my body, but in many ways, I own more of my body, just to put it in a kind of a philosophical way, than um, somebody that isn't white, that isn't able-bodied, that isn't you know financially stable, um, employed in a legitimate field, or a, I shouldn't say legitimate, in a way that society views as legitimate. In many ways, I, the fact that I am cisgender. Now, I am queer, and I'm a woman. So I have that going against me <laughs> in a lot of ways as far as being able to own my body. And that's something that I think about all the time. What is is happening in the world at large, and not just with what's happening politically, but what's happening because of the way that we've built our major institutions is a threat to my life and how I can exist in the world and what I am able to do. I know that that is still a lot more than people with different identities than myself. You know, you get into the conversation of like, okay, well, you as a person with and correct me if I'm making unfair assumptions here, but from what I do know about you... I am you, on a green screen, and I'm in the middle of the woods <laughs> in my I, shack using a green in screen. your shack. <laughs> I knew you were hiding something. Um, no, so I think that you are somebody that has a lot of privilege. And so mm-hmm. as we're considering this, it is very easy to consider this from such a broad level of like, oh my gosh, I have capitalism. I am still at the will of the government to a certain extent. We haven't even talked about citizenship and like how that allows me so much agency over my my person, mm-hmm. um, which is super important. I feel a little disappointed for not having brought it up sooner. But anyway. Well, I mean, one of the things I talked about in that critical race theory episode is critical location theory. It's the future of your life depends on exactly where you were born. Sure. Yeah. So I, I, I do think that, um, you know, if I wanted to be a little um, facetious about it. I would just say that straight, able-bodied, rich, white, cis men of the world own my body. And I know that that's a super oversimplification, a bit unfair, maybe. At the end of the day, that that that's my answer. <laughs> because, you know, capitalism didn't create itself and religion didn't create itself. A hot take, maybe, to some. <laughs> Religion, in my opinion, and I am somebody that is spiritual and have my beliefs, religion is man-made. And I do mean man-made intentionally. I I use that phrase intentionally. So religion, capitalism, government, these things were all created by a very specific couple of identities from the start of our states and the start of our civilization, maybe, although that's unfair because I can't speak for other civilizations. I could speak for what's happening in the States. And I know that people like me didn't, didn't have a whole lot to, to do or say about how that started. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing in today's modern day age is those groups that didn't always have the wealth, didn't always have the power, didn't always have the voice are now able to create that voice, are able to create that power, are able to create that wealth. It's opened up all these new, I don't even know the, the correct 
term for it, and I think it's important to kind of come with the correct term for it. But all these new these new thoughts and causes that once we we're like, oh, that's not a big deal, and then now you know, as you say, we have these people that their voices were silenced and their voices aren't silenced anymore, and we're starting to hear all these new ideas and these new concerns and these new you know ways of seeing the world that a lot of people are not. Are not very used to, and they're not comfortable with that, and that makes them uncomfortable. People do not like to be uncomfortable. I talk about it all the time. Something like the Black Lives Matter movement really created this whole new age of understanding what is possible within the realm of individuals that were once silenced. Now having this voice, at least for our you know modern generation, I know there was you know like the women's suffrage movement, uh, the '60s with race and how that became the situation that is now you know especially in Minnesota with George Floyd and everything with that. All these new ideas and the age of the internet, these voices from everywhere have created this everlasting idea that my voice is just one among many. And my voice is not the only voice that gets to say what today is. Yes, I, I agree. And I think that there are a lot of ways that uh, spaces are being created all the time. Voices are being lifted up and empowered to, to speak. Um, in ways that we haven't seen as a result of technology. And, you know, not that those voices weren't there before, but that we have access to them in new ways. That's great. That's a really beautiful thing. But that tendency, that extreme effort to silence is still so prevalent. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see with OnlyFans. And I would be a bit remiss if I didn't circle back for the sake of not just leaving it as a name drop. But, you know, you look at George Floyd Every part of that was an extreme example of what it looks like to silence people. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking about what happened to him and the fact that he was murdered. I'm also talking about that trial and what happened in the city and what happened in countless cities in the States and around the world. There is, for all of the ways that we are continuing to see all of these different voices and hear all of these different voices... For all of the ways that that's continuing to intensify, there's like this counterattack that's equally as intense, if not more so. There's this constant like gnashing of, of efforts to be heard and to silence. It's everywhere, all the time. And maybe that's a super pessimistic viewpoint, but also... I, I think it's I'm a little pessimistic right now. I'll admit it. Well, I mean, and I mean that's 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 the universe. That's the law of opposites. You know, uh, Newton's first law, I believe. Any equal reaction. I I don't know. I didn't go to college. <laughs> but any what is what is Newton's first law? It's any reaction has an equal or opposite reaction. Something like that. Some I'll correct it. Um, <laughs> Newton's first law is an object at rest stays at rest. Newton's third law would have been the law I was looking for in the conversation. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. But if you have someone who wants to change someone something, you're going to have someone who doesn't want to change it. And you're always going to have someone who fights against that idea that someone's voice needs to be heard. Some people do not want that other person's voice to be heard. You know, that's a fucked up situation, but it's always going to happen. And it's, I always say, what side of history do you want to be on? At the end of the day, when it comes to a situation like what's going on in Texas, just what's going on nationally with the conversations around race, conversation around women's rights, conversation around trans rights, a multitude of different things that we could go on for hours naming all these things, going back to religion. It's all about just being a good person and being good to the next person next to you and the next person next to them. And truly understanding that as humans, like 
we don't succeed alone. We succeed together. Humanity was not just this concept that was like, all right, I'm gonna make humanity great. Humanity was this concept of together we are great. I'm someone who I love America. Yeah, we got a lot of things that need to, you know, get a little better. A but lot better. I love America. Not- <laughs> a lot better. Agreed. But at the end of the day, I want to work towards getting a lot better. And I want to make those changes that make us a lot better. I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for you. But that they can be proud of the U.S., of where they grew up. And they can say, yeah, today and for the rest of my life, I was on the right side of history. Well, and I think what you what you bring up there is is the action part of that. I think we are in a time, we are in a place where just being good to people isn't enough. And I, I think part of that comes from, you know, if you're like the white silence is violence, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. to use that one phrase. If you are not actively working to challenge these things, then you are facilitating them. You're facilitating the problem. You're complicit in it. And, um, you know, you, you brought up comfort earlier. It's very hard to want to challenge ourselves and make ourselves uncomfortable all the time. I am nowhere near the point of feeling like I am doing enough. And I think that's a good thing, (laughs) right? Like I want to forever challenge myself to do more, to take more action, to create more space, to sometimes shut up and just raise voices up, probably more than sometimes do that. I agree. I want to be kind to people. I want to be warm to people and gentle and provide a space and a a face that people can rely on and trust. That's great. That's beautiful. I love that. I want to see it. I wish there was more of that. And also, I want to do something. Just just worrying about myself, staying in my own lane, it's not going to work. It's not helpful. The onus falls on folks like you and I who do have that privilege. Because let's be honest, Folks of marginalized identities, folks of who have been silenced, folks who are being targeted, who are being victimized and traumatized, it's not a lack of action on their part. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing people not, do, not doing enough. What we're seeing is that there's so much working against them and there's so many people in privilege who are just saying, I'm not just saying, I'm just going to be nice to people. I just, just be nice. And that's great. I do love that. And I'm not working. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. That's a great place to start. I'm just for myself and, and the people that I uh, hope to have any amount of impact on. I encourage that action as well. Yeah, that's a very good point. Once again, beautifully said. And you have to really be kind to yourself and really treat yourself in a healthy way before you can help others going out and trying to quote unquote, save the world when you're not in a good place yourself is, you know, it's it's a good thought, but at the end of the day, it's not the best way to change the world. And so I think a lot of people who are activists, which I always, you know, support if someone truly believes in something and they can stand behind it and they can support it. I also think it's very important that I have to be okay with what I'm doing in the world before I can be okay with helping other people do what they need to do in the world. Absolutely. I mean, you got to take care of yourself. Obviously, that is a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, It's easy for me to get on a soapbox about these things when I also have to acknowledge the fact that like, who I am and what I believe today is a direct reflection of having four years (laughs) in a very interesting and different bubble mm-hmm. where I had a lot of very intelligent folks who are smarter and much more patient than I am who are guiding me and challenging me and helping me to sit with myself and sit with that discomfort and 
encouraging me to struggle and to sift through a lot of really problematic ideas and unlearn a lot of things. Like I was able to go to college and because of that space, I believe the things that I do today and I have the tools to be able to do these things today and the confidence to be able to do these things today, which I'm continuing to work on all the time. It's not perfect. I don't know everything. And also like no one's having fun right now. We're all being impacted by some pretty heavy shit. So like (laughs) my mental health isn't great all the time. So there are days where even just thinking about these things, it's too much. And I'm sure that's a hot take to say, even from a point of all of the privilege that I have. But all like, my all my listeners, they know that's not a hot take here. That's, <laughs> that's not a hot take here. Well, that's good to know. I mean, yeah, it's I'm glad you brought that up, Adam. It really is about I want people also to take care of themselves and look out for each, you know, the people that are closest to you. Like I said earlier, mm-hmm. I'm having these conver- a lot of these conversations I'm having with my family. I'm not going in the street right now and like finding someone to that I know, like I'm not walking up to somebody with a Trump sign and being like, let me talk to you about why you're wrong. Like that is, (laughs) that's not where I'm at right now. I think to that end too, when we talk about engaging or when I talk about action, that doesn't look the same for everyone. Not everyone is going to want to march in the streets. Not everyone is, you know, one thing I see all the time right now and I love it. And also I struggle with it, which is that there's so because of social media, I can't go on Instagram right now without seeing so many posts about donating money to things. And I love that. I love that people are advocating for donating money. I want to know about these organizations. I want to be able to give what I can and where I can. Like, that's awesome. I want to see it. But not everybody can do that. Not everybody is in a place. It's sometimes overwhelming to see just as much so as when Trump was elected, everyone was marching. And if you weren't marching, it was an issue. And you were like, you know, so it just... There are so many different ways to do those things, to get involved, to take action. It's not just about giving money. It's not just about marching. It's Sometimes it is just a conversation with a friend. If you, what you're doing, if you're doing something and you feel like it's important and you're, no matter how big or small, it doesn't matter. There's no degrees to it. You know, I think you mentioned this on a previous podcast. You can't tackle everything. So if you find one thing that you're so passionate about and you have one conversation with one person ever and they change their mind or you enlighten them or you expand their understanding of something, that is great. That's great. And that's what I say is, you know, like when people come up to me and they tell me, I want to change the world. How can I change the world? It's like, just start with one person. It happens. I made it sound like it happens every day. It happens every so often. But, you know, a lot of what I do is like help podcasters and stuff like that. And they're like, I want to change the world with what I do. It's like, all right, we'll just start with one person. If you can change that one person's world, you just change the world. But to kind of use my magnificent hosting skills to wrap this all up in a bow and kind of connect back to that first story. Everyone has their own experiences. And I think it's important to always understand how those experiences can view the world in different ways and how you can understand things different ways. And, you know, somebody can read a book, the same book, and get 10 different meanings out of it because maybe it connects with them personally. Maybe it doesn't. Who knows? But every person has their own experience. Everyone has their own way of connecting with this world. And I found out through this show that like, all right, my greatest power is behind a mic, talking to people like you, Macy, talking to the wonderful guests I've been able to have on the show and connect with and say, this is what I can do to best help support the world without interfering with someone else who 
you know, might have a better advocacy in another lane. And at the end of the day, kind of going back to what Natasha said at the end of her episode, everyone has a baby on board. You know, you never know what that person may be going through. Yeah, just just go through life. You do what needs to be done to be a good person, but also, as you say, be an advocate for what you believe is right and truly believe what you believe is right. I guarantee, Macy, there are people like you who have those same strong beliefs, but they believe the complete opposite of you. Oh, I know it. (laughs) (laughs) You know it. I know it. And how you see the world, it's important to also not see that world just for yourself, but to see the world for your family, your community, your city, your town, your state, the entire world. The world is just bigger than you, even though you experience this world in a certain way. And I think it's time people really start understanding that and really start standing up for the people who don't get that platform to stand up and say that. Yeah, I, I really agree with that. And I think, you know, that's that's a great point. I know you're trying to close here, so I'll keep it brief too. But I just, <laughs> um, you know, I, I do agree with that. And I would also add to just uh, when you're, when you have a strong viewpoint, and you're considering talking about that or advocating or raising up different voices that are silenced because there are plenty of people who are silenced who have to- you know complete polar opposite viewpoints of me who might be super conservative who are living in communities much different than mine who are also silenced and I understand that but I think ultimately too we need to try as best we can to understand the impact you know, it it goes beyond just pushing our own agendas and it extends to what are we actually, who are we actually impacting? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I can talk all day long about these things, but that's not impacting my life in a negative way. So who am I impacting in a negative way, potentially? I like that. Well, Macy, thank you for taking the time to share your perspective on some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a productive and meaningful conversation. Listeners, if you'd like to follow along on Macy's journey or just connect with her more for more informational resources, you can do so by following her on LinkedIn at Macy Ramos. Once again, that's on LinkedIn at Macy Ramos. And of course, as always, to make it easier for you, those links will be included in the description of this episode and on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. And if you're ever in need of a legal team, cheaplegalteam.com. <laughs> Before we go, I do kind of want to end this on you know a positive note. And you know I want to get your honest opinion on this question. Do you believe the world, maybe we can specify it to the U.S., is as divided and hate-filled as a lot of people seem to think it is. Because I think the world is in a very positive place, obviously with the (laughs) inclusions of all the shit we're going through. But overall, within the past, you know, 100 years, obviously, we face a lot of important obstacles. But I generally think the day-to-day is positive. But we tend to get this very negative view of the world. And I know I have the privilege to say I believe the world is positive, but positivity doesn't always sell. Sure. I think you bring up a valid point there. I think more than, you know, I, I don't think it's so much hate filled as it is hurting. I think people are hurting right now and people are trying to survive. And that looks a lot, that looks like a lot of different things for a lot of different folks. I, I know I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm a bit pessimistic right now, which is true. <laughs> um, but I don't think the world or the states are as divided as it seems I think it's very easy to to think it is because of all of what we have access to view and what we're constantly being inundated with. But I think at the end of the day, 
people are just trying to survive and they're hurting and they're doing the best they can. Like that's the average person. <laughs> well, I'm going to try to be an optimist, love opposites. All right. As always, thanks to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest host today by Macy, where we take the strangest and most interesting real life news stories from around the world. And well, just trying to have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. Macy, we are now to my favorite part of the show where I hand off the show to you. This award nominated, this is some of my hubris coming through just to <laughs> check in with you on that. I'm handing off my award nominated podcast to you to close out the show, however you see fit. <laughs> but before that, I just want to say thank you. I mean, you're a, a wonderful friend. You always keep me honest and you always make me a better person. So I appreciate you feeling comfortable to be on the show and to be able to share yourself and have this conversation. So I appreciate that, but I will let you close out the rest of oh, it. Oh gosh, that's terrifying. All right, well, thank you, Adam, for your time today. And thanks, folks, for sticking with us. I know that there were a lot of really all over the place uh, conversations. So thanks for everyone's time and uh, keep keep listening, keep expanding your mind, folks. The end. <laughs> all right, well, listeners, until next time, peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not, because they're real. <laughs>